I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode of On Deck with Stancy is brought to you by Podmetrics. Whether you're a rookie at podcasting or a veteran or a super expert or somebody who's just doing it for fun since we have a little bit more extra time now that we're all stuck at home, you can actually use Podmetrics to know so much more about your show and who you're able to reach. You can get information like who's listening, where they are, what their profiles are like, even their listening habits. Podmetrics can take care of all of that and more so you can focus on creating better content. You can even integrate Podmetrics with Facebook and YouTube so you can get more data from your live streams. So if you're a podcaster or you want to start your own podcast, go check out podmetrics.co. Once again, that is podmetrics.co and sign up for free. So whether you've got hundreds of episodes under your belt or you're trying to figure out how to get from episode 1 to episodes 2, 3, 4, 100, 150, and beyond, Podmetrics can help you get to know your show and your listeners that much better. You can check it out today and sign up at podmetrics.co. Once again, that's podmetrics.co. And you can use my referral code on deck. That's O-N-D-E-C-K, just one word. And you can get a head start into the wonderful world of Podmetrics. You're listening to On Deck with Stan C. This podcast is my love letter to the radio industry where we tell the stories behind the people behind the mic. I've got a very fun episode lined up for this week because my guest is someone whose name is very, very familiar to a lot of people, whether you first heard of her as the host of Rated O on ETC or as a radio personality on 99.5 RT and then later on the first iteration of Play FM and then Magic 89.9. She's been on air with so many memorable personalities over the years from a young Sam YG to Mo Twister in her most recent iteration on air, which she says is probably her last because she's effectively retired from radio. I'm talking to Sam O this week and we'd never met at all. We've never crossed paths. I don't think I've ever encountered her at an event or maybe I have and I was just too shy to approach her or something, but I, I don't recall ever having the pleasure of having a conversation with her. So when we first got together on this call for the podcast, that was essentially our first meeting. And, you know, in the time of the pandemic, that's as good as a meeting gets at this point, right? So I'm just really happy that she was so gracious and so fun to talk to, you know, that she accepted the invitation to get on the podcast and tell her story Picked up a lot of things as well from somebody who did the morning show for so many years and as someone who's now doing a morning show myself, I kind of picked up the energy and I kind of see why she was a fixture on the sign-on shift in the mornings for so many years in the different stations she's been at. 
These days, she's actually a podcaster now, among the many other things she has on her plate. And her show, The Narrow Door, is part of the Podcast Network Asia family. Speaking of which, happy first anniversary to all of our podcasts on PNA and Podcast Network Asia. Thank you so much for giving us all a platform to be ourselves and to tell our stories and just get it out there. And I'm really happy with the milestone we all celebrated together last week. And here's to more years together conquering this brave new world of podcasting here in the Philippines. I'm not going to drag on and ramble any further. Let's get right to it. Sam O is on deck. This is probably the first interview I'm doing on the podcast where it started with me getting interviewed by the guest, which is really, really cool because when Sam O is asking you stories about for stories about your life, you just want to tell her everything. So please welcome to the podcast, Sam O. How's it going, Sam? Hi, Stan. How are you, everybody? Thank you for, thank you for inviting me to your show. I, we had a really fun pre-interview and um, Stan was telling me about his wrestling career, his pro wrestling career. Fascinating. Oh, thank, thank you. I'm glad that uh, that you find it interesting enough to you know want to know a little bit more about it. If you want to know about it as a listener, by the way, um, for for those of you who may have stumbled on this podcast or to this podcast, you can find it on the Wrestling Wrestling Podcast, also under PNA, also on Spotify. That's a cheap plug. That's what we call it in the wrestling business. That's what, anyway, that's what it's called the Wrestling Wrestling Podcast. Yes, because the the titos and titas when they find out about we, what we do, they're like, "Ano ba yung wrestling wrestling na yan? And we're like, "Okay, let's co-op that and let's make fun oh of it my. and let's make it the name." Oh, you guys are hilarious! <laughs> hilarious. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, you know, I I was excited to uh, get this started. I think uh, you know since the moment I shot my shot because um, we were talking about this before we hit record. We have never met before. Our, no. our paths have never crossed. Even though for a long time you and I actually worked on the same floor. So I used to work at Mellow, which is right across RT and Magic. What? Wait! Oh my! I did not know that. What what time slot were you on? Uh, the reason why we never crossed paths is because I worked the afternoon, so four to eight PM. That was my old time slot. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I was on the morning show most of the time, and yeah, something funny about the morning show. I think it kind of puts you in a bubble because you're there so early in the morning, and although you're part of a station, and obviously you have co DJs, you know, that work the whole roster of the station. You kind of feel like you're doing your own thing. You don't really hang out with them as much, I think, when you're there during the rest of the day. So, yeah, no wonder. Oh my goodness, I can't believe we used to be neighbors. Yeah, yeah, uh, I, I can totally relate. By the way, now that I'm doing the morning show, that that whole bubble feeling. Even yes. the office people, like you, just say hi because pasimula yeah. pa lang sila, and then you're yeah. on your way out. Like bye. Exactly, exactly. Wait, can I ask you about the radio setup? I mean, I was listening to you guys this morning. You're you're on with Debbie, who I adore. And um, I wasn't sure if you guys were doing this like at a radio station or are you guys doing everything online now? What's the deal? So we do it from a very special remote studio, a.k.a. my bedroom. And uh, whatever room <laughs> Debbie's in as well. And uh, we've got this remote software... So I'm, from my own laptop, I'm connected to the PC that's in the booth of, of Wave, right? And I'm just putting the songs there, lining it up as if I'm in the booth. I just don't have the console, no faders. Yung on and off of the mic is through Zoom. So I've got a real mic right now, which is being blurred out by my virtual background. And it's just hooked up to another computer. 
where Zoom is running. So that's oh. that's basically radio in the time of the pandemic. That is amazing. My gosh. Yeah, you're right. I mean, yeah, I guess everyone is kind of getting acquainted now with technology and everything because we're in lockdown. It just blows my mind. That is so cool. How have you been coping and, and holding up in, in this very strange and traumatic time? How have I been coping? I mean, I guess it came in phases. Like, you know, when it when we first went into quarantine, I was kind of I didn't really know, we didn't know that it was going to be, you know, a six-month thing, an ongoing uh, thing. And I think I was just kind of, okay, we're, we're doing this, we're doing this. All right. So for a couple of weeks, I think I just did a whole lot of nothing, ate all the bad carbs, and just was a couch potato. And then I realized that this was going to be a longer thing than I thought. And that's when I kind of felt like, okay, I need to figure out what to do with this situation, um, which is why I also, you know, got into the podcasting thing. And I guess, yeah, we're all just trying to adapt to this new situation. Everyone's livelihood situations are so changed. I think in our industry, um, especially if you're in, you know, live events like I am, the landscape has changed entirely. And um, which is why I think everyone and their mother has a podcast now. That's cool. <laughs> no, like yourself. Um, you're part of the PNA family now. Exactly. I, I was going to save this uh, towards the end, but we might as well get into it. Like, uh, you haven't been on radio for quite some time, and now you find yourself podcasting. So, how has this this new experience, this new platform, been for you? Um, it's been, oh my gosh. I mean, the podcast was something that I was working on pre-pandemic. It was a passion project of mine. Um, I converted to being Catholic about three-ish years ago. And I just saw some things in the, you know, Christianity scene. And I thought that a podcast would be a good platform to talk about. Um, it's an ecumenical podcast, meaning we, I and three other people who are parts of different denominations, we sit down and we just dialogue about different things coming from where we're coming from. I think it was just something that stood out to me, I suppose, as a newcomer into the faith where, okay, everyone, we're all Christians, but we're all so different. We have a lot in common. We're all so different. There are so many denominations within the church. And uh, I'm really going to get into this now because you ask like the floodgates. Oh, don't worry. Don't worry about it. Yeah. (laughs) This is all about you. (laughs) I like that attitude. No, I'm just kidding. Um, And... Last year, oh no, no, this year, it was this year, the Catholic Church decided that it was going to be the year of ecumenism and interreligious dialogue. And I was invited to host a couple of their events, which was, which were promoting, you know, this dialogue. And I was like, I think this is a great angle for a podcast. And I've been wanting to do something in, you know, the faith. And so uh, that's how it started, really. And how has it been? I mean, for me, I guess my focus isn't so much on the platform itself, but just, the conversations that I get to have with these guys, um, again, I'm I'm a newbie in the faith, and I feel really enriched by hearing from you know hearing what these guys have to say about a ton of things. And we're just getting started, so it's it's pretty exciting. Personally, I you know it's enriching for me. Did you see any similarities or like differences from you know your time in radio to now? Uh, being a podcaster since you did say that uh, it is something new for you something you're still exploring but I'd like to think that there are also some elements that are pretty familiar 
I mean, familiar in the sense that you are still trying to, you know, mediate a conversation and, you know, put on a show, content and whatnot. But I think maybe a big adjustment for me is I, I it still surprises me how this is such a comfortable uh, space. I think I'm more used to like a more structured approach to a show and... But the podcast is like, we just sit down and we talk and we see what happens. And that is kind of the draw of a podcast is the authenticity and, you know, just being natural. And I mean, sometimes, you know, we'll sit for a conversation and one of the guys on the show, his name is Pat, his, his name is Pastor Dennis. He has kids and one of his kids will just pop in and say hi to daddy and you know, that, that, like that kind of thing. It just kind of, um, yeah, it is new to me, not, not in a bad way. But yeah. Yeah, you have nobody breathing down your neck saying, Oi, commercial break now, or like, right. uh, hey, just 30 seconds and then the song's gonna play or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's the uh, beauty of the entire medium. So, and I'm just glad that I guess one of the few good things about this whole pandemic is it democratized podcasts even more. Not that mm. it wasn't democratic to begin with, but it just pushed people towards the platform. So now people like you have have found it and, you know, uh, there's more for everybody. I'm not going to be one to gatekeep and say, uh, everyone's just jumping on the bandwagon. So I'm just happy that, you know, uh, it's more accessible to everybody. Uh, for our listeners who haven't uh, discovered uh, your podcast yet, where can they find it? Um, it's called A Narrow Door uh, based on something you find in the Bible. Go, go and check it out. Luke 13. And it is on YouTube and Spotify and Apple Podcasts and wherever you find your podcasts. And yes, I am with Podcast Network Asia as well. And they're great. So I'm yes. really, yeah, I'm really glad that I found a great team to work with. Happy first anniversary, by the way, to our uh, Podcast Network Asia family. Happy birthday! Happy birthday, PNA. All right, uh, let's backtrack a bit and let's bring it back to radio because um, that's what uh, the podcast is all about. And I, I really want to get into your story because um, everybody's got a diff got a different origin story in radio. I want to know about yours. How'd you get into it? And were you a big fan of the industry growing up? I was. Um, I actually got into. I started on TV first. Actually, I oh. had just yeah. I had just gotten the gig at ETC which was a fledgling cable channel at the time and they were looking for a local host and I auditioned for that and luckily I landed the gig and then about a year into it uh, Sam YG I don't know if you guys ever heard <laughs> I'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> oh we've also crossed paths many times <laughs> Sam YG was um, with RT at the time and he was looking for a partner and so he asked me to be on the show with him. And so that was my first radio show, Sam vs. Sam, on 99.5 RT. Was I a fan? I was. I mean, I remember when I was younger, I was uh, listening to the Top 20 at 12. I don't know if you were, yeah. Trigger, I was trigger, a campus trigger, radio trigger kid. Man. Yes, yes. <laughs> that felt like home. Yeah, like that was kind of a ritual. And then... When I got into college, this was when King DJ, King, King DJ Logan and Slick Rick and Teta News were doing their radio show, and I loved um, their show. What was their? But what was the title of that show again? I keep getting. I know Radio Tabloid. I think was a segment. Yeah, I think show. so. That was before Disenchanted Kingdom, right? Yeah, that, the, Disenchanted Kingdom was when I was already doing radio, and King DJ Logan was in my station. But I have and to jog were... my memory. Oh now, my now I feel bad. <laughs> now what was it? 
anyway, but you know the show. They yes. were, I thought, yeah, they were fantastic. I really enjoyed that show. So those are the shows that stand out in my mind. I think I also listened to uh, Mojo Jojo when he was with RX. Wasn't he with RX before moving to Magic? I'm not sure because I, I just really remember him uh, as part of the Good Times crew. Like that's where I remember him best. Yeah, <laughs> worst memory. I have the worst memory. Don't quote me. But yeah, sure. Loved radio. Uh, who trained you? Uh, when when Sam brought you in and then you were paired up with him, was somebody also training you on the off days or when you weren't uh, on board with Sam YG? Um, you know, I I think I was um kind of in a unique situation in that I was brought in as a personality. Does that sound douchey when you call yourself a personality? Because that's not what I mean. <laughs> No, no, no. I mean, I get what you're trying to say, but I also appreciate the self-awareness, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, um, I wasn't I wasn't trained like a junior jock is what we used to call them in magic, where, you know, right. these uh, yeah, younger, you know, DJs would audition and then they would train. I did not really have that because I was just brought in to sit and talk with Sam. And, you know, the technical stuff and being tight on air and, you know, how I'm supposed to sound like emulation not emulating um what do you call that thing when you're when you're modulating yes <laughs> modulating your voice a DJ by modulating um you know that kind of stuff like the technical aspect i wasn't really formally trained for that and i i was just kind of thrown into it and so sam and i would just sit and talk and i mean there were some djs at the time at, uh with the station i think like like ron and of course sam um, our station manager at the time, Dickie, and, you know, these guys would, you know, pop in and kind of tell me, you know, give me advice. That, but that was about it. I, I didn't really go through a formal training. Uh, you mentioned that you were already on TV. You were doing ETC before yeah. uh, you got into RT. So uh, what were the differences you noticed coming from being on camera, being on TV, and then suddenly being on radio where uh, this was a time where live streaming wasn't as big as it is now, especially on radio. So you could practically show up having rolled out of bed, putting on a hoodie, and show up with your cup of coffee, then, you know, just, uh, turn the mics on. That was half my radio career. I did that. You know, I just would show up, um, didn't care um, what I looked like. And the difference, and I think that was a huge difference. You know, obviously, on, you know, when you're doing TV, you have to be put together and all of that. Um, with radio, that was a huge appeal for me where I did not have to bother with all that stuff. It didn't matter on radio at that time anyway. And then, of course, just radio being live all the time. You know, once once that's said and done, that's it. You're done. Um, TV doesn't work like that. The kind of TV that I was doing anyway. Um, and both had its pros and cons, I think. But honestly, I think I might have enjoyed radio more. Just the spontaneity of it. And, you know, you're in three, do your three hours. Boom, you're done. You're out. You know, it's and it's it just didn't feel like work. It was a, it was such a blast. I miss it. What was the best part of it for you? Like, what did you enjoy the most? I think that's it. I think you know because the the partners that I've had through the years were all friends, or eventually became good friends. 
actually for a big chunk of my radio career, I was on with one of my best friends. Her name is Gib. We we did the Sam and Gib show for, you know, a few years. And so I was literally just sitting down with my best friend and talking for three hours and, you know, got to play music. And time goes by so fast when you're on radio, doesn't it? It just flies by. It does. Yeah. 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 That, I think that was the best part. It really didn't feel like work. I want to know about your training, Sam. Who trained you and who sat you down to figure out how to press all those buttons and get you used to the faders and everything going on on the technical side. But before we get to that, here are a few messages from our podcasts at Podcast Network Asia. Hey there, Alex Calier here. Bakit ako nandito? Kasi gusto kong ipalam sa'yo na may podcast din ako. It's called Punchline with Alex Calieja. I talk about everything. Serious, happy, sad, pero sa dulo, may punchline or may comedy. Again, it's Punchline with Alex Calieja. Available on Spotify o kung saan ka man kumukuha o naikinig ng podcast. Namumukhaan kita, ilista ko pangalan mo, kaya see you there. When you said that uh, nobody really sat you down to train you about the technical stuff and then you eventually had to have different partners and sometimes you'd get partnered up with somebody who isn't as skilled on the board as say a previous partner. Um, Sometimes you'd have to step in and do the technical work yourself. So did somebody sit you down and teach you how the consoles and the faders and all these buttons work or uh, did you just pick it up on your own by observing another partner? No, 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 no. Oh my gosh. The board was absolutely horrifying for me. Because <laughs> it has like 5 million buttons, right? And yeah. like, <laughs> I can't figure this out. This is crazy. Um, but, you know, as with most things, once you understand that you really only use maybe about 10 of those 5 million buttons, it gets a, lo- a lot easier. Um, but yes, I was trained for that, for sure. I think it was Ron who trained me for that. Um... I would, but you know, again, it was just I had to come in a few days, and I think we would just play like a recorded music show or something, and I would kind of do my thing on the board, and you know, once I got the hang of it, um, I was doing it. But again, you know, board work was not my strength. Um, doing a solo show was absolutely terrifying for me. I again because I wasn't like trained as a formal radio, you know, DJ, right? And so the idea of having to sit there by myself and talk to somebody who in my head who I is, you know, hopefully listening to the show was yeah. like so scary. It was basically my nightmare situation. I was talking to somebody last night and he um he mentioned how uh, how odd it was that when a radio DJ is talking to somebody, to a listener, he really makes you feel like kausap mo siya na ka in that mm-hmm. in that room in that space. But the reality is, wala siyang kausap. There's nobody else with them, especially when they're solo. Kind of like what you just described. And yeah. it didn't hit me until he he laid it out like really in, in an elementary manner how weird it is. Because for for people like us who've gone through the ringer in radio, normal na siya. Ako hindi. I never really adjusted to that. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, even to my even to like my last year of radio, I it would be horrifying for me. And um I remember my last show was with Mo on Good Times on Magic and our setup at the time, I I suppose is something like, you know, what we're doing now. He 
it was a unique setup at that time anyway because he was broadcasting from the states and so yep. he was not there i was i had a virtual partner nico ramos was in the booth with me but mo was not and you know the internet situation being what it is sometimes we'd be in mid conversation on the air and he would just drop drop out and i now have abandonment issues because of that like i would just <laughs> <laughs> horrified <laughs> yeah third world internet that's uh, that's what it'll do to you oh my gosh but yeah i don't know how you guys do it it's amazing to me amazing I can't. No, good and then uh, you know um, you're in mid conversation like with with me and Debbie. We just be talking about some random whatever, and yeah. then one of us drops out or one of us starts sounding like a robot. And yes, you know we know we have this to restart. Is the remix. And, and the worst part is, we are our own tech. We are our own DJ. You do everything. So that is the new normal for radio DJs. Yeah. Oh my gosh, Mo used to give the the tech guys so much crap. When we were doing our show, we'd be so frustrated. Oh my gosh, that was funny. Uh, I, I want to ask about the partners then, because because uh, you brought it up, you've had uh, several different partners. Um, all of them are, are very memorable names in the industry, from Sam YG to Gib to Mo, Nico Ramos, uh, Tim Yap. I remember having listened to all these different iterations. So, um, what are memorable memorable stories from behind the mic involving these different names? Uh, with Sam, who was my first radio partner, I, you know, I look back on that show and honestly, most of it is a blur. It was me adjusting to that slot where, you know, I had to wake up super early in the morning and then show up and actually have my brain cells intact for a three hour conversation. And that was such a challenge to me at the time. And so I remember you know, sometimes I would just be like, I'd wake up and I'd be lying in bed and I'm like, this is just not happening today. I can't get out of bed. And so I'd give him some like lame excuse for not being able to show up. I did that. I, I'm sorry, Sam, I'm sorry. I'm sure you knew that I was doing this and I'm sorry. <clears throat> but Sam's so cool. Um, he's such a good guy and I learned a lot from him. And I'm so happy for all the success that he is enjoying right now. Um, Gib, Gib is... The really funny thing about Gib is Gib, again, zero training. Um, so mm -hmm. I did radio with Sam for a year and then I left because, again, I was doing ETC with the radio at the time. I was also in a relationship and, you know, my work with ETC was getting so busy and I kind of had to do a process of elimination. And for me, it was like, okay, radio has to go. Totally understandable. So, yeah. yeah. So I was away for a year and then um, Ron, who I think was uh program director at the time at RT they were reformatting and they were asking me if I wanted to come back and by then I was like yeah I think I would like to go back and I think you know schedule permits so cool and he was like you can bring a partner if you have anyone around you that you'd like to do this with and I immediately thought of my friend Gib who was a college friend and I, you know, I pitched it to her and she was like, there's no way I'm doing that. Like, I have no experience in radio. And, but, you know, eventually she did agree and said, you know what, I'll just, I'll just give it a one show. I'll go and see how I like it. And from that one show, she ended up doing it for, in my head, it's eight years. I, but maybe that's wrong because the math doesn't add up, but she did it for four or five years. Maybe that's wow. better. Yeah. 
from that one day of coming in to check it out, she ended up doing radio for about five years. I never would have uh, guessed it because I remember listening to you guys and I'd be like, oh yeah, uh, you know, these, these two ladies really sound very interesting. They, they uh, pique my interest and all that. So I would never have guessed that neither of you really had what a lot of the old school jocks would call doing formal training. I mean, obviously it was mostly me, but you know, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> no, Gib is, she is awesome. And she really, I mean, she ended up loving it. She uh, held on to it as long as she could. Eventually, she uh, became a diplomat. She is now in Indonesia um, representing the country and, you know, helping out our countrymen over there. Um, But that was so special. So, yeah, literally, again, sitting down with my best friend and, you know, talking for three hours. Who else? Tim? Tim. Yeah. Tim... Oh my gosh, I just remember with Tim, he had a lot on his plate. He always does. You know, Tim is just Tim. He's like that. And so I don't even know how he decided to add a morning show into his already super busy schedule. Um, it wasn't a very long run, but it was it was an interesting time. Tim and I were already friends and, you know, Tim is like he likes to spoil people. Um, that are in his life. And I just remember like eating really good food at the time. And um, also because Tim was so busy, there was always an element of like, is he going to show up today or not? Well, we'll find out. What a character. Yeah, that was Tim. How about Mo and Nico? Uh, What was it like working with uh, Mo Twister and Nico Ramos? Nico and I had uh, worked together previously at the... It wasn't RT anymore at the time. Oh my goodness. We reformed it a few times and I don't even know what we were called anymore by then. Was it play by then? Yes. I'm horrible for, for forgetting. Um, but yes, we were in play together and then we moved to magic together and ended up on the same show. Nico is like my younger brother. Um, I think the dynamic on that show was kind of like Mo and I are mom and dad and Nico is our little kid. Um, and, you know, obviously for, for me, you know, good times was as good as it got, um, in the morning radio scene. And so I was really excited to do the show with these guys. And Mo is, he, and I've, I always say this about him. He's brilliant. Mo is brilliant. He is hilarious. And, um, I think, (laughs) I, I just had a really good time. Good time. I had a good time on good times. Hey. Um, <laughs> what can I say? You know, I I think a lot of people were like, what's it like working with Mo? What's it like working with Mo? Um, and the thing I found out about Mo was that he has a certain persona on air, but off the air, he's a lot more mellow and he's a lot more sensitive than people realize. And... Did he have his moments? Absolutely. You know, what a pain in the butt sometimes. <laughs> but, but you know, for the most part, I I have really fond uh, memories and feelings about that show. 
So I've had the pleasure of working with Mo and Nico as well. Um, we, I was a recurring guest host on this sports show that they had on Fox. So uh, oh, really? what you were okay. describing for me, parang very familiar then. Like even uh, the duality of Mo, you know, from him on the mic and him behind the scenes. Um, these are things I've I've seen for myself. So you know, it, it's nice hearing that from other people because it kind of affirms that what I saw was actually real. You know? Yeah. You went on good times. I think a few years after Grace Lee had left, and Grace Lee is also yes. Korean. So, did you get the comparisons, or did people uh, compare the two of you and your dynamic with Mo? Because you can't generalize it just because one woman is Korean, the other Korean female host is like exactly the same, right? That's very unfair. Yeah, yeah, and um, gosh, I, I, I think early on there were some comparisons. Um, I don't know, which I guess is a is a natural thing to do for people. I mean, you know, regardless whether it was Grace or I think before, like immediately before me was was it Susie? I believe so. Yeah, I think uh, she and Mia were on there with Mo. Right. You know, I mean, Mo has. We, we used to joke about this. There is a revolving door of co-hosts on Good Times, and so it's kind of hard to keep track. But yeah, I mean, I guess the comparisons are to be expected not just with grace but just everyone else who came before the show and i guess maybe with grace you know more so because yes we are both korean but it's not something that i really remember to be a big part of the show sam let's talk about representation because i want to ask about whether or not you felt the pressure of representing every korean that lived here in the philippines but before you answer that, here are a few of the other shows from our podcasts at Podcast Network Asia. Hey there, I hope you're all doing well today. My name is Kara, and just dropping by to let you know that I too have my own podcast. It's called After 30 with Kara Erigel. I talk about love, fear, relationships, career, sex, food, money, books, and how life is so much different and oddly the same after 30. So when you're done listening to this episode, go ahead and check out mine. Again, it's After 30 with Gara Erigel, available wherever you get your podcasts. See you there! Now, I, I think that's a good thing because it wasn't about something... I don't want to use the word shallow, but I think that's the only word that comes to mind. It's shallow to compare people because they are of the same ethnicity or because mm. they just share you know, uh, similar traits. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be compared to an, another Chinoy just because mm. we're both Chinoy and we both happen to be radio DJs. But on that note, I want to segue into representation. Because as somebody who grew up listening to the radio and not really finding anybody who had a similar background like me, I always wanted to find someone I could identify with. And I guess for the Koreans here in the Philippines, you were that person for the last decade and a half, I guess, ever since you've been on TV and radio. So did you ever feel like you had that pressure of representing a diaspora or an entire community of people here in the Philippines? Did I? I mean... I mean, how it happened for me was that when I was on TV, this was around the time when, you know, more Asian or the Chinita faces were trying were popping up more on media. And I remember, you know, growing up, really, the token pretty girl on TV was Mestiza. 
you know and so this was actually a tri- a time of transition already when i uh, got my etc job and then you know as we all know that kind of became the thing and so i feel like my timing was really good um and representation yeah i guess i su- I, i suppose i did feel that not so much as pressure to you must represent and do a good job or anything but just it was something in my consciousness okay when you open your mouth and people are aware that you're korean just remember that this isn't entirely about you 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 know whether you like it or not people are going to make the connection and so you know i think there was an effort on my part to be more diplomatic to be more sensitive you know to be just a good representation um overall i don't know if i did a good job of that or not but you know was i aware of it sure but it wasn't something that took over my my you know the way i represented myself were there ever clients or like producers or directors who would come to you and ask for certain things just based on stereotypes i i guess to just um layer that question a bit i remember i'd be hosting gigs for chinese new year and i'd have clients ask me oi uh may chong sam ka naman siguro diba can you just wear that and i'd be like dude not every chinoy person has a chong sam in 2020 or like uh 2013 whatever year it was so like were there ever those stereotypes oh laid God. on you na parang they kind of mean well i guess but like they just didn't know you know wow um i i don't I don't think so. I and if there were, I I guess I don't remember. Again, worst memory. Um, if anything, for me, I think in my career, the being Korean part served me. Um, you know, when live events were still a thing. Remember those? Um, it was like five million years ago. Oh, But, what a lifetime ago! Right. Um, you know, Korea because because the Korean thing was becoming so popular it actually was a boost for my career as well again I, i think i just had really good timing in my career and so up until this whole pandemic thing happened all of these korean celebrities were coming for fan meetings in the country and you know there's not a whole lot of people who can host events like that and so i was doing a lot of those events and so when i look back at you know how my being korean sort of affected my career If anything, it was a it was a an advantage. I think um, I I don't remember feeling like I was boxed in because I was Korean. Luckily, yeah. Gosh, I wish I had a more compelling answer for you, Stan. But I, no, I, no, I, don't worry about it. I, I mean, <laughs> I'm glad you had a generally positive experience with being uh, with being someone of a different ethnicity uh, here in the Philippines. And I, I actually did my research, and uh, I wanted to make sure that I asked the right question. So I know that you basically grew up here, spent most of your life here. So you're every bit as Filipino as the rest of us. But did you ever get that sentiment from some people that if push came to shove, you would pick one country over the other? Was that ever a thing for you? Because um, given racial tensions here for my community, I kind of feel it. You know, um, I'm going to address right it and say, in a, yeah, yeah, uh, you know, with the Pogo issue and with. Uh, Chinese Philippine maritime relations and all that. Uh, like the way I see it, I was born here. I was raised here. I'm every bit as Pinoy as an as the next person. I just happen to be of Chinese ethnicity. So I guess my question for you is: Did you ever have to wrestle with that duality? Ah, oh, man, 
these, I was not expecting questions like this talking about my radio career, Stan. Um, I mean, I, I guess there were a few instances on the radio show, probably on good times where, um, they were trying to, you know, corner me into picking a country or something like that, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but never in any serious way. And I, I think that's always also kind of been my stance where, yes, I grew up here. I spent most of my life here and I, I have parts of me that are very Filipino, but I am Korean. I grew up with parents who kept reminding me of my roots and not to forget. And, you know, even after all the years that I've lived here, I still hold a Korean passport. You know, I still speak Korean. Um, And that was something that I was actually very proud of. It wasn't something... I mean, I think when you're younger, you struggle with that because... You just think of it as I'm just different and I just want to belong. You know, when you're a kid, I I have vivid memories of like in grade school, you know, my mom would lovingly pack a lunch for me and she'd put kimchi in it. And all the kids would be like, what's that? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, You know, now people are all about it. But at that time, it was just so foreign. And I really struggled with that. But it's something that I grew to appreciate as I got older. And I think that's also something that I brought into just who I am in, in my career that this is a good thing. I get to draw from two different cultures and um, yeah, I see it as a positive. How are you able to incorporate that into your presentation as a radio DJ? Because when you're on TV, uh, it, it's easier to add elements like the way you dress. Shempre, the way you look is a big element. But when you're on radio, you just have the element of your voice and how you talk to people, how you relate. So were you able to incorporate uh, being Korean and your roots into uh, the way you presented as a radio DJ? Uh, I don't think it's any, it's something I did consciously or... Um... It's, it's not something I did. It's not something that I tried to do. I think it was just something that would just come up in conversation because, you know, in the kind of radio shows that I was doing, I was drawing a lot from my own experiences and my own life. And so um, it was really just more about injecting some of that stuff into the conversation. And that was about it. It wasn't something that I insisted on doing, just, you know, making sure everyone knows I'm Korean in case you didn't know, you know, (laughs) yeah, it was just, you know, that's who I am. And that's what I bring to the table sometimes, but not necessarily something that I intended to do. Does that make sense? What about Um, you? I mean, you're, you're, you're Chinese. And so is that something that you'd consciously try to put out there? uh, Yeah. Uh, From, from the get go, I think I wanted to do that because just because from a personal perspective, there, there wasn't anybody that I knew about who was Chinoy and on the radio. And then, malaman uh, laman ko na lang that when I joined Mellow, there was another Saverian who was also on the roster. But mm. you know, he didn't make a big deal out of it. And then through the years, I would meet other Chinois, and then they, it, it was never really something that they incorporated. So for me, I wanted to stand out by being that guy because if I was a listener like that, surely some other listener would be like me down the road. Di ko lang yeah. alam. So I figured I would try to incorporate that. And I used to be super serious about it. Now I just incorporate jokes into it. So like I'm now on air with Debbie, who's also Chinoy. So we That's get to, right. uh, 
we get to crack these jokes like we would call ourselves the stingiest show on radio uh, we would uh, poke fun at our tiger moms and tiger dads so you know um, th- these little stereotypes we can kind of play with and um, th- the more dangerous ones I guess we just call it out because you know uh, because we can <laughs> yeah. mostly because we can yeah. Yeah, no, I remember, you know, now that you mentioned, um, I think a running joke on Good Times was about my dad. Because, he, you know, I have a, like, token Korean dad who doesn't speak all that much. And, you know, if you didn't know him or talk to him, you'd just think he's pissed. Wow, and, yeah. Yeah, Asian dad. You know, yeah, one of those, right? And so Nico, who, you know, was my co-host at the time, would sometimes see him because my dad would pick me up. He'd bring me to work and he'd pick me up. And my, my Nico w- had met my dad, and like that was kind of his experience. Like, oh, I don't know, he seems upset or whatever. So that kind of <laughs> running thing. Like, oh, hi, uncle. Good morning. And he'd just be like, mm. yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, I guess in in that sense, it, it would kind of come up. But I think you know these things like representation um, and um, all those things. It's kind of a new it's a relatively new thing that people are becoming more aware of. It's not something that I really thought about when I was doing radio. Um, I mean, I definitely had an awareness of like, oh, wow, I think there's a bit of a transition of, yeah, more Asian faces, more chinita, chinitos, and, you know, whatnot. But that was about it. Yeah, because I remember uh, when you first made waves on ETC with Rated O, I think that was also around the time that Sandata Park uh, became a star here. Right. And then Kim Chu entered the Pinoy Big Brother house, so another Chinita. So mm-hmm. you, this was just like the wave of the uh, the Chinitas on screen. But on radio, this was also the time that a lot of the female DJs were being very sexualized. So from Andy Nine. Uh, like oh. I remember Andy Nine The story behind her radio name Was because she was rated a 9 Like out of 10 Okay oh, Andy Nine So I remember that uh, I Who else do I remember um, Having this very sexual image But like Andy was never Andy was never yung parang Super sexual Conscientiously You know like, it was No because she was a sweetheart just, Exactly uh, So like I, I just remember that she was super attractive. Kaya parang, oh yeah, you're Andy Nine, like that hot. But like, yeah. uh, there were the FHM shoots for the female DJs. I believe you had one as well. So I, I bring this up to ask what you felt about this time of, of uh, the entertainment scene here where uh, the female DJs were being sexualized. Like, was that something that bothered you? Was that something that you weren't comfortable with? Um, I mean, I did FHM not as a radio personality i oh my gosh you know what i don't i don't know how people are able to say yeah back in 89 i did this i have zero ability to do this i don't know how you guys do that but anyway um yes i did fhm and um uh, it wasn't <laughs> not my proudest moment i gotta say and I, gosh, did I feel sexualized? I mean, you know, sometimes there would be, you know, guys who would come visit us at the station and they would have the copy of this magazine and, you know, would ask me to sign it. I don't know why they yep. would, but um, yes. But did I feel like I was being objectified or whatever? <sighs> Not in any, like, malicious sense. I mean... I just, I, I don't know. I took all of it as just, oh my gosh, they, you know, these guys are 
they enjoy the show. They made the effort to come and say hi and all that. And I think I just appreciated it all. And what do you expect? Like, what am I supposed to expect when I do a shoot like that? Do you know what I mean? Right, um, of course. Yeah. And Especially given its, its uh, format as a men's magazine. Exactly. And I think you're right. I think there was definitely that sort of trend where, and I guess that comes from radio kind of shifting to hiring DJs that were known outside the radio industry. You know, um, and so, you know, maybe that's a, that's a thing that kind of follows. I personally uh, didn't really see it like that. Um, that's a horrible answer to your question, and I'm sorry. No, no, don't worry about it. I mean, um, now that I think about it, I remember Jinri because uh, she yes, was uh, oh, yeah. but during her run, she had also a long run as an FHM uh, personality. Yeah. And I, I think she kind of embodied this this time in local radio where, oh yeah, super sexualized, super hot and all that. Sure. Um, and and some of the, I, I believe some of the magic DJs were kind of like that as well. So like I look at it as the generation that came before me. So very aspirational in the sense that, yeah, you have to have this level of attractiveness to make it in the industry. And I, I can't imagine what it was like for a woman from, from my generation in radio. Because uh, the, the pressure would probably be very daunting. But like as a guy from the outside looking in, I'd be like, wow, um, ba talaga? Like, did you have to, to live up to that ideal to make it and then to keep your spot? I guess that's why I wanted to ask that question also. Because aside from the feeling of being objectified, was, that, was there any pressure on you to maintain a certain look? Or to maintain a certain sound so that uh, the listeners will always aspire to be with you or something. Oh, wow. I mean, you know, when you say it like that, I can see how maybe there were some DJs who were under that kind of pressure and felt the need to maintain a certain look or sound. And I guess maybe that is something that comes with how everything went digital. I mean, the radio you know, medium went visual as well with the component of streaming and all that stuff. And I mean, for me though, personally, I, this isn't something that I really thought about. I, first of all, did not really think of myself as one of those, you know, female DJs that were kind of put in that group of girls who, you know, were being like, fantasized about or whatever like i mean i just went in and did my thing and we talked and (laughs) you know yeah the uh i think the whole streaming element definitely made everybody a little bit more conscious about how they were showing up to work uh but personally for me it wasn't like a complete game changer or anything. I mean, there were still some days when I was showing up in my pajama pants and just whatever. Let's talk about living with the notoriety and the celebrity that comes with being on TV and on radio. But before we get to that, Sam, here's another show from our podcasts at Podcast Network Asia. Minsan, kailangan lang ng manunulat ng kausap. Minsan, Kailangan lang ng mambabasa ng pag-asa. Minsan, kailangan lang ng tagapakinig ng pag-ibig. Ako si Edgar Calabia Samar, may akda ng ilang premyadong nobela at aklat ng tula. 
At inaanyayahan ko kayong makinig ng aking podcast tungkol sa panitikan at pagsulat at pagmamahal. Ang mga teorya ng pagkahulog. Dito lang sa Podcast Network Asia. There's an article about you that I read from from years ago. There's a line in there where you said na you would still go to the mall at some point. Na you just be in a t-shirt or in a tank top, jeans and chinelas. And that was something you were comfortable with despite you being on cam. So like, how would you feel whenever people uh, look in your direction and be like, "Oh, isn't that the girl from ETC or something?" And and you know, you know na you weren't dressed like you were going to appear on cam for ETC. Like was there ever that pressure then uh, oh i i have to make sure i'm well put together because i'm stepping out of the house someone might see me um you know honestly honestly i i didn't really feel like i mean i don't get recognized like that often this isn't something that was taking over my life or anything like that i yes was doing what i was doing and of course sure sometimes you know people would recognize me and say hi or whatever but um it wasn't something that dramatically changed my life i still did all the normal things and going out stepping out to you know oh in public and being recognized like i, I mean i just made sure that i looked decent it wasn't a production or anything like that um and sure there were times when You know, I could have been more put together, but it's just not something that I really paid much attention to. I suppose, I yeah, I, I it's not something that I was super conscious about. One of the things that you said earlier, which really struck me, was how uh, there are days when you'd wake up in the morning and you knew you had a morning radio show. So there was an <laughs> expectation that you can carry a good, profound conversation or at least a witty one, and you're just not feeling it. So how did you get through those days? And on those other days when you weren't in that zone, how did you psych yourself up to make sure that your brain was working when you were waking up at an ungodly hour every day? Yeah, yeah. Um... You know, it's been what just a couple of years since I retired from radio, and I used to wake up at four thirty every day. No biggie. I just got used to it. It has now changed my body clock forever. I think I'm a morning person now, and I love it. But four thirty now is still a ch- like I don't know how I did that. Um, and you're right. It it can be it can be challenging until you get to a groove. Lots of coffee. Um, <laughs> you know, I think you just do it, and this is one of the hardest things about radio because it's such a regular thing. Day in, day out, you show up and you do it, and you become part of people's routines, and you are expected to be kind of on when you're you're doing the radio, and you know we're human beings too, and there are phases in our lives where you're just not feeling it, but you just keep showing up and you do it. And there were certainly times in my radio career where it was so difficult, but there's no other way to put it. You just show up and do it. Um, thankfully, though, I think. You know, it's not super obvious. Like, as long as you are able to string some words together and, you know, <laughs> carry on a short conversation from time to time in the three-hour period, you're good. 
Um, it's a pretty forgiving medium like that. And when it's really super tough, just play some music, you know. Um, but yeah, I don't know how else to put it. You just, you just, you just do it. It's a commitment. It's a commitment. As with any job, you have good days and bad days, and people expect you to be on, and you just go. You, uh, you mentioned the word retiring from radio, and um, I come from a perspective where retirement isn't as final for me. I, I guess it just comes from me being in wrestling and as an industry, no one really ever stays retired in wrestling. So in a weird way, really? my brain's kind of brought it over to radio because... Really? Like, you, uh, yeah, you yeah. Know, no, what no, if you're like 65 and there's a real danger of like shattering your hip bone or something? Uh, you work it safely? <laughs> I don't know. I, like, I think that's the best way to put it. I mean, you know, Hogan would still get in the ring in his 50s, you know, but that's... Uh, oh, uh, wow. That's neither here nor there. But yeah, like we, we've heard of other um, DJs in the past who have said, nah, I'm done with the industry. I'm walking away. I, I'm, I'm calling it quits. Some have moved on to other countries and, you know, that's cool. But like for, for you, you're still around. You're still podcasting. You're still doing events. Um, what made you decide to just call it a career in radio and end the run and say, I'm retiring? Like that's it. Um, you know, it wasn't when I when I left radio good times i didn't really think of it as i'm retiring what happened was i was doing the show and i was going through a conversion at the time and um because the show drew so much from my personal life and i was going through a conversion that i also did not know what to make of at the time i was just trying to figure this out and i was changing so much but i couldn't really let it all hang on the radio show, because obviously this is a very personal thing. And so I struggled with this for a while. And eventually I made the decision that, okay, I think I would like to be, um, I would like to figure this out. And I was having a really, I was really challenged by having to do the radio show and trying to figure this out at the same time. And I also felt like I had to step back a little bit from my life to examine you know, what it was that um, just kind of examined my life a little bit. And I decided to go walk a pilgrimage called the Camino de Santiago, and which was which I was going to give about two months. And it felt unfair to have the team just kind of hang in there, guys, while they go and figure this thing out, you know. So that's why I left. And I think by the time I was done with all of that and I decided that okay I think I am gonna I want to be a Catholic I'm gonna be a seriously practicing Catholic my priorities changed and you know that's kind of how it happened it wasn't like I'm gonna retire out of here bye guys like you know it wasn't it wasn't that at all as a follow-up to that um when you say that priorities changed uh was it a matter of like there are certain things that are being talked about on radio and, uh, you know, um, especially given the format of Good Times, it being free-flowing and, every, mm. uh, and you know, um, there being a prepared topic, but you guys shooting from the hip most of the time. Mm. Parang, was that something that went against uh, the new values you'd formed? Or was it more of just different priorities in life in general as, as you entered a different life stage? Um, I, th I can't say that it had nothing to do with that. I think definitely like as I was going through my conversion, you know, some of the some of the things that I found challenging was, yeah, some of the things that we were talking about on the air was making me very uncomfortable. 
Um, but for the most part, it was just um, having been away and having had that time to contemplate and how I would like to, you know, what direction I would like to take with my life. It just didn't include radio by the time I was, you know, done with my pilgrimage and just, you know, doing all that stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, that's what happened. Uh, last couple of questions. Uh, how did you deal with that? Um, the the topics na parang okay. I think I'm uncomfortable mm. uh, with with whatever is being talked about. So like you know that you have two other partners or three other partners, however many you guys were in the booth. And um, what if you were the only dissenting voice, or what if uh, somebody had a very strong personality and they, we had to talk about this, or somebody had a strong stance on it? Like how did you navigate that? You know. <laughs> Here's the thing with Mo and I, like we had a pretty good, respectful dynamic uh, on the show. And when I was uncomfortable with something, I felt very good about expressing that to him. And he respected it. And I mean, there were times when I think they were trying to like they would they would talk about girls and rate them. You know, what was that segment called? It was really popular too. And then I would just like sit it out, you know, what, whatever. Okay. You guys can talk about it. That's fine. I'm just not going to participate. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later on, you know, they just ended up scrapping it all together. So in that sense, it wasn't like I felt I was just hostaged into talking about things that I didn't want to talk about. In fact, if anything, I felt pretty good about not having to do that. If I didn't want to. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that wasn't like a huge problem or anything. Uh, I'm glad that you had that takeaway. Na at least it reinforced in yung, I guess, your agency. Mm-hmm. Uh, you being able to decide for, for yourself if that was something you wanted to partake in or not. Because um, I, I can imagine being in a spot where, oh, my senior wants to do this segment or my senior wants to uh, run this topic. And it's, it's not something I'm entirely comfortable with, but, you know, I kind of want to keep my job. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad you never had to, to toe that line. Yeah. Um, right? Uh, it, it's I've- something worth appreciating. It, it, was a, it was striking a balance, really, because obviously you want to be a team player. But there were just some things that I felt very strongly about not participating, like basketball, for instance. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, that was that was really more like a joke, you know, where, okay, oh my gosh, these guys are going to talk about basketball, whatever. Uh-huh. Um, and they were cool with that. But yeah, when there were, there, there were some things that just, you know, I suppose like morally I had a problem with this, like, and, you know, they would let me, so... You know, they were cool like that. After several years in the industry and hopping between RT and then Magic later on, um, what was your biggest takeaway from this entire run in radio? Oh my gosh, I've never thought about this. (laughs) My biggest takeaway from radio? Or probably something that uh, that always uh, stayed with you. Something that always stood out. My gosh, you know, so yesterday I was sitting down and I actually wrote down answers to your questions just so I had like a guide to go. I love it. I love the legal pad. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I think one of the things that I was thinking about yesterday was just I cannot believe how unbelievably lucky I got 
I can't believe how unbelievably, okay, that's a little redundant, but you know what I mean. I look back at my time on radio as, you know, I was just this girl who have, was just starting out on TV and they took a chance with me and they had me sit in front of a mic and do this day in, day out for something like 10-ish years. And, you know, I look back at some of the shows that we did and I cringe because we were just amateurs, no direction. You know, we didn't have a producer on the show or anything like that. I don't know if you guys do now, but basically, no. I feel like, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, not, not much has changed. I just feel like we were... We didn't know what we were doing, and then we were given full control, which could be very scary. And thankfully, you know, we came out of that experience unscathed. And for some reason, you know, there were people listening to us, and I had a blast doing it. And it was such a fun part of my career. And I just feel like I got unbelievably lucky that I got to do that. Um, that is that that's my takeaway i think what a great time it was it was i look back at those years with so much fondness and i can't believe i got to do that i think that's the perfect way to end a podcast like this uh sam thank you so much for just taking time out to hang out with me here reminisce about your story uh, your stories from your career in radio and since you did call it a retirement I feel compelled to congratulate you on an incredibly successful and wild ride so uh, thank you Samo thank you so much thank you for having me this was so fun I haven't reminisced about radio this much in a really long time and now I miss everybody so I blame you for that thanks Sam thank you, thank you. thanks again to Sam O for joining me on this week's episode of On Deck if you want to catch more of her, then you can hear her own podcast on Podcast Network Asia. It's called The Narrow Door, and it's available on Spotify and all of your other favorite major podcast platforms. As for me, you can catch me on the radio on Wave 89.1. The show's called The Morning Takeover, and we're on air Monday to Friday, 7 to 10 a.m. I'm alongside my partner, Debbie Ten, and we call ourselves the stingiest show on radio and, well, based on the color of our skin... And the size of our eyes, you can probably see why. But if you want to hear me talk about pro wrestling and just geek out and be a fanboy, then you can catch the Wrestling Wrestling Podcast, which I host alongside my friends Ro Moran, Raf Camus, and Chino Liao. We go live every Wednesday night at 7 on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash wrestlingwrestlingpodcast, or on Kumu, where you can follow us at Wrestling Wrestling Pod. And you can catch the audio-only version on Spotify and on all of your favorite major podcast platforms. That's going to do it for this week's episode of On Deck. Before I get out of here, though, got to remind you to register to vote. That's right, we are in GCQ. And the Comelec has reopened the registration process for the 2022 national elections. Now more than ever, given everything going on right now, it's very important that you exercise your right to vote, that you let your voice be heard as a citizen of this country. So please, please, please do what you can to register to vote. Do it in a safe manner. Please observe proper safety and health protocol and get it done. Please register. Be part of the election process. Be part of it and cast your vote when it counts in 2022, all right? That's going to do it for me. My name is Stan C. Follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at underscore Stan C. And as always, 
thank you very much, and I hope I've earned the privilege of your time. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.